Welcome to the Dwell on Truth show. My name is Brenton Powers. And I'm Dan Bodwin. And we are open-air campaigners, evangelists, and missionaries here in Northern California. If you want to find out more about us, our website is oacnorcal.org. And today, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of John. We're probably going to finish in a few weeks, because today we'll be in chapter 19. Our next episode will be chapter 20, and the final chapter 21, we might not get to until after the new year. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, Dwell on Truth. You can find it in any podcast player or on our homepage at oacnorcal.org. Of course, you can just Google Dwell on Truth with Brenton Powers and Daniel Bodwin, (laughs) and there you will find us. So Dan, what are we going to study today? Well, today we're talking, we've spent a lot of chapters um, where Jesus is discussing and kind of preparing his disciples for his departure, Um, a lot of teaching stuff. And today we're going to be focusing in the next um, passage or the next week as well, we're focusing more on on straight historical narrative. Um, uh, You know, we we talk a lot about Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the dead, and that's what we're going to be discussing um, this week or this episode and next episode, at least two more episodes. Um, But what we wanted to start today is talking about the prophecies that that support this. You know, many people ask the question, and I was asked a question yesterday by an atheist, you know, how do you know that what you believe is true, that your holy book is the true one? Well, one of the ways that we know that, and one of the ways that um, God actually challenges the false religions out there in Isaiah 44, I think it is, um, is saying, well, you know, if you're real gods, then you should be able to tell the future. And indeed, God can tell the future and did prior to the crucifixion and resurrection. So we're going to start with reading um, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, which are not everything that the Bible has to say prophetically about Jesus, but it's a very good starting point. So I'd encourage you guys as you listen. Go ahead and 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 consider what these passages say and how they connect with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you want to start, you want to do verse by verse, or do you want to maybe one of us read 53 and one of us read Psalm 22? What do you think, Brian? I, I've got Isaiah 53 up, so you can read 22. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and hit that, and I'll, uh, and I'll take Psalm 22 once you're done. And if you want to add some commentary in there so that people understand the details, that's great, too. Well, you know me and Isaiah 53. I could spend a half hour on this, uh, <laughs> or an hour and a Maybe half, we'll actually. That. I've done that. You can yeah. find that uh, lecture on YouTube. <laughs> Jesus in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anyway, I'll just read it. Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him Mm. was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many 
and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53, written 700 years before the events we're about to describe fulfills Yeah, it's awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and hopefully you guys who are listening heard some of those little nuggets that are in there and the way that they connect with um, with the account of Jesus' death and resurrection, and we'll bring those things up as we go through the passage. And I'm going to read Psalm 22, um, another one that has a tremendous amount of information in here. So listen up, and and we'll talk a little bit about it. So Psalm 22, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, which would be the tune that it was written to, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust in you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the affl- the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. For from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That's Psalm 22. Psalm 22, yes. The end of that psalm says, he has done it. A lot of times the prophets Mm -hmm. would refer to things in the past tense or the present tense because there's kind of a dual fulfillment. This was a psalm of David. He felt this way, but it's also foreshadowing and predicting what Jesus would do. So what has Jesus done? Let's read that in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Let's read through the whole thing, and then we'll go back verse by verse, more in depth. So hopefully our listeners will be able to connect the dots. Okay, sounds good. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! 
Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Verse 27. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation... And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. <sighs> it's hard to read sometimes. In what way are you talking about? Well... 
it's easy to be kind of detached and just think about it as a passage of text, but this truly is talking about the Creator, the Lord of glory, God in human flesh, being beaten and scourged and crucified and killed by those He created. And with a purpose, of course, it also makes me think about what made this necessary. And it's my sin and your sin and the sins of everybody that is listening um, is the reason that Jesus had to endure this. And man, if, if you've spent any time, and I have, in fact, there's some passages I'd like to share, finding out a little more about what crucifixion really looked like, what this process looked like, it's something that would just, it, it's almost beyond imagining the amount of pain and suffering that Jesus went through. Yes. John doesn't spend much time here talking about the why Jesus went mm-hmm. to the cross. Uh, no. He focuses more on what happened and how it happened. So I think it's good for us as we study the Bible to stick to that as much as we can, what actually mm-hmm. happened. There's some things in here that are foreign to our culture. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. crucify people or flog them. No. So really, the, yeah, those descriptions, they can be very shocking and visceral. Well, we could have a visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. But it is important to face even the uh, this dark, uh, painful reality that Jesus went through mm-hmm. for us, uh, as he was a real man, but he was also God standing before men, submitting himself to ill treatment, the most suffering. As I read earlier from Isaiah 53, it says he was marred more than any man. Some mm. commentators say that in the original language, that could also mean it marred to the point where he didn't recognize him as, as a man. Yeah. He was beaten to, beaten to a bloody pulp. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, people turn their face away. It's, it's, and people might want to turn the station or turn off this podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there is importance in looking at these gory details. It's mm-hmm. excruciating, and that word excruciating actually means out of the cross. Um, yeah, that's where it came from. But I I think one of the one of the reasons why it's important to understand these details is to gain a better appreciation for how much Jesus suffered for us. He actually loved mm-hmm. us that much that he would go through this for us. He actually loved the Father to the point of being obedient to the point of the cross, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. So that's why we need to go in depth to understand what this is saying. Just simply, what does it say and what does that mean? Indeed. Particularly this first verse, it says, well, they flogged him. Well, what does that mean? If if you're okay with that, I'd like to share a few um, passages, uh, short passages on that. Um, Passages of commentary or... Um, yeah, it's actually from a book, and and the book is called The Case for Christ. Mm-hmm. Some of you guys may have heard it or read it before, but I, I encourage everybody to read it, and there's a movie about it as well. And this was written by a gentleman who started out as an atheist, tried to prove Christianity wrong, and he was an investigative reporter, so he talked to a number of different people. And this is part of the, uh, the account that he got from a medical expert who talked about exactly what was involved in the crucifixion, and I think it's... It's um, it's really powerful. Okay, sounds good. So the, the guy's name is Lee Strobel. He's talking with a doctor by the name of Metherell. And once again, you can check out the book for more details. This is going to be from chapter 11. And he's talking about, you know, the condition of Jesus before he was flogged, because in it says in Scripture that he um, was in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat drops of blood. And some people think that uh, that, that may just be some kind of a, um, a a representative description, but that it, that's not really what could, could somebody really sweat blood? Well, yes, there is a medical condition. It says here called um, permatidrosis. Hopefully I pronounced that right. And this doctor says it's not very common, but it is associated with a high degree of psychological stress. And as a true man, Jesus certainly would have had high psychological stress. What happens is that se- severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capital in the sweat glands. As a result, there's a small amount of bleeding into these glands, and the sweat comes out tinged with blood. It's a real medical condition. We're not talking about a lot of blood. It's just a very small amount. And so the um, Lee Strobel asks, does this have any other effects on the body? And is told what this did was set up the skin to be extremely fragile so that when Jesus was flogged by the Roman soldiers the next day, his skin would have been very, very sensitive. And then he goes on 
someone to describe what flogging, what Roman flogging looked like. And these are things that have been um, verified through um, through text and through uh, archaeological evidence. He says Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. They usually consisted of 39 lashes, but frequently were a lot more than that, depending on the mood of the soldier applying the blows. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises or contusions, which would break open and further with further blows. And the whip had pieces of sharp bone as well, which would cup, cut the flesh severely. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders down to the back, the buttocks, and the back of the legs. It was just terrible. He says, one physician who studied Roman beatings said, as the flogging continued, lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. A third century historian um, by the name of Eusebius described a flogging by saying, the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. We know that many people would die from this kind of beating even before they were crucified. At least, at the least, the victim would experience tremendous pain and go into um, hypovolemic shock, which means that, um, well, let me see. He said that that shock does four things. First, the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Third, the kidneys stop producing um, urine to maintain what volume is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the lost blood volume. And so as we go through, we'll see how some of those things were the case. We know that it's, um, we're told in other scriptures, in other gospels rather, that Jesus collapsed in the process of taking um, the cross, um, which was really the cross beam, the top part, not the vertical part, but the part his hands would have been nailed to. Um, the full cross would have been too big for him to, to carry even under, under normal circumstances. But um, he collapsed and had to have the cross carried for him because he had lost so much blood and was so weak, he just couldn't handle it anymore. So flogging was enough to kill people sometimes. So he was oh, yeah. already Very severely uh, tortured. He was in critical condition by the time he got to the cross. What do uh, they call that whip? Uh, cat of nine tails? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah, strips of leather with metal balls um, woven in to bruise and damage the yeah. skin and then pieces of bone or metal to tear the skin open. Yeah. Horrific. His back would look like hamburger meat by the end of this. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. And then verse two, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his mm. head and arrayed him in a purple robe. What was this crown of thorns uh, like? Like rose thorns? No, these were something much, much bigger. Um, I've seen replicas of it um, before, as you probably have as well. Mm -hmm. We're talking thorns that were about, what, an inch long or so? That when they put that on his head, they were probably driving it through his skin, possibly into his skull. And once again, this would have done tremendous damage to him and caused a tremendous loss of blood, particularly going into his scalp. If anybody there has ever fallen and hit their head, you know how scalp wounds bleed. Yeah. And he had already lost a lot of blood by this point. Yeah, I have. Got a couple yeah. stitches in both eyebrows uh, because of they... stuff like that. Man, so bleeding down his face, but not just a physical pain, but it's a mocking crown of thorns, as mm -hmm. they said in verse 3. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So a, uh, a mocking, ridicule, um, mm -hmm. really um, uh, trying to inflict emotional damage on him. And remember, yeah. let's remember, this is Jesus, King of Kings and King of the Jews, uh, being mocked as if these people have more power than him. But it's mm. part of the part of the suffering was people falsely accusing him of uh, mm -hmm. being a fake king. Yeah. His and, kingdom and, is not of this world, he said earlier. Yeah, and we've got to keep in mind that Jesus went to the cross knowing that exactly this would happen. He chose this because it was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. He chose to put himself in this situation. That's, I can't even imagine that. There's a hymn, uh, there's a song that I learned how to sing as a new believer. The nails in your hands, the thorns on your brow, show me, they show me how you love me. And yeah, that he was pierced, as Isaiah said, for our iniquities, more than just through his hands That's and feet. Right. 
And that's that that is, I think, the, the one of the key phrases for our iniquities. This absolutely shows the love of God for us. It also absolutely shows his hatred for sin, that this kind of payment was necessary because of our sin against him. And he was willing to take that payment. Wow. And I think it shows human hatred for God, too. If it does. They were told this is the king of the Jews. They were told this man claimed to be the son of God. Um, mm-hmm. And so Herod here is putting him forward. Uh, well, we're going to read that in the next verse. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. In other words, I'm going to I'm gonna bloody him up and beat him up, and, and hopefully this will be enough to placate the mob that's calling for him to be punished. But yeah. little did Pilate know how they were going to turn up the pressure on him. This would not be enough. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting, and and I've I've heard or I've I read a number of accounts, and there were there are different views on on exactly why Pilate handled the things the way that he did, because he had already said this guy's clearly not guilty. He's trying to let him go, but he still has him scourged, he still has him beaten, right. and yeah, I, I do think that at least part of what he was trying to do was, of course, let the Roman guards have their fun and then placate the crowd by saying, look. Here is the man, you know, look at this poor whipped, beaten, you know, person is, is it, is he really guilty? Is he really worthy of what you guys are accusing him of? Yeah, he says, I find no guilt in him in verse four. No guilt in him. And in verse five, Mm -hmm. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Mm -hmm. behold the man, as if to Mm -hmm. um, elicit some pity on them. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I cringe when I see some videos on, you know, social media where someone's getting hurt. It's like, oh, you should, Mm -hmm. you should feel bad for that person and like say, okay, Mm -hmm. that's enough. That's too much. Um, For an innocent man, they, Pilate knew this man was innocent since still he had him mm-hmm. flogged. But uh, mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said for us that we are called to behold the man. Picture Jesus yes. standing there with the crown of thorns, um, having been whipped, beaten, but he's standing tall. He's not, um, he's standing tall. I'll just leave it at that. Mm. So yes, so when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. I think he was taking a shot at the, yeah, correct. Go ahead. Yeah, Um, I I think it was, uh, and then Pilate says, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And I think uh, Pilate was probably taking a little bit of a shot at the Jews, trying to get them to realize what they're doing. And also, well, take him yourself and crucify him. He knew that they couldn't legally, you know. I mean, they had to go through him in order to get him um, to get him killed. So I, I still think he was trying to find a way around that. Yeah, he didn't want to be the one to crucify him. No, he didn't. I think we also need to be careful when we talk about he's going before the chief priests and the officers, and then the next verse, it just says the Jews. And I've heard people talk about the Bible as being even anti-Semitic. No, it's not. It's not. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. This is the Jewish religious leaders. It's not as if the whole nation of Israel chose to chose to kill Jesus. It was the religious leaders and and those people that they had been able to whip into a frenzy. Yeah. Um, there were still those that who who wanted to follow him and believed in who he was, even if they were fearful and stayed away. Yeah, verse six makes it clear that it was the chief priests mm-hmm. and the officers who instigated yeah, the yeah. cry for him to be crucified, and they were the ones mm-hmm. who knew the law. So they were most likely the ones that said, "We have a law." In verse seven. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. In this verse, they're they're not appealing to Roman law. They're appealing nope. to Jewish law. They're appealing um, to Jewish law. So it's kind of revealing their hand here that they didn't believe that he was the son of God. And not so smart in terms of trying to convince Pilate to crucify him on basis of Roman law. But yeah, yeah. still, Pilate had enough sense to know that this, okay, if this guy already claimed to be, be a king of a heavenly kingdom, and he's now, they're saying he's the son of God, he's just learning this, I think, on the fly, and mm-hmm. still uh, seeing a, a mob about to uh, get him in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So he was, oh, he was a politician. Eight, he was even more afraid when he heard that yeah. statement. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you think about the context, he would have been. I mean, this is not like a lot of our modern people who 
um, you know, now cut that out. I'm, that's too much of a rabbit trail. Okay. So yeah, he was he was even more afraid. I mean, Pilate wasn't stupid. He didn't want to. I mean, if Jesus had claimed to be a god and there was any possibility of this being true, he didn't want anything to do with it. And of course, it um, tells us in one of the other gospel accounts in Matthew twenty seven nineteen, it says, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, while Pilate was on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him and said, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So he's already getting basically a supernatural word through his wife saying, don't mess with him. So he's he's uh, he's nervous. He wants to protect his position as a politician. He doesn't want to get in trouble with the Romans or the Jews because the Jews had influence. He's not in a very good spot. Yeah. So he goes to consult with Jesus again inside. In verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And this, of course, um, fulfills a number of prophecies and prophecies in um, in Psalms in chapters 2 and um, 27 and 35, where uh, talking about false accusations um, that came against him. Um, and then, of course, in Psalm 38 and in Isaiah 53, which you read earlier, the fact that he was silent under accusation. So he was accused and he chose not to answer. I think it might be good to give the actual verse reference if people want to look it up. So that's Psalm sure. 2. Ver- Do you want to say it since you were the first? You were- oh, well, there's a bunch here. Um, Psalm, read off Psalm what you have two- in the notes is good. Sure. Psalm 2, verse 1. Um, Psalm 27, verse 12. Psalm 35, verse 11, and Psalm 109, verse 2, talk about false accusations against him. And then silence under accusation we see in Psalm 38, 13, and in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was like a lamb before his his shearers was silent, so he opened not his Mm -hmm. mouth. So that's probably why Jesus didn't give him an answer. And also because Mm -hmm. Jesus had already answered this question in a previous chapter, my kingdom is not of this world. So, you know, I already answered you. It's been asked and answered. I don't need to keep answering the same questions. Correct. Verse 10. So now we go, yeah, verse 10. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And I think we have a little bit of what we saw in the last chapter there. And just a reminder that all of this is according to God's will. Jesus knows that he is in, in, in a certain sense, in complete control or it's cer- uh, certainly completely cognizant of everything that is going to happen to him. I think it's important so, to notice how Jesus set frames things in a different way than mm-hmm. Pilate's trying to frame things. Yes, Pilate's trying to so. say, I have the authority to set you free or to crucify you. And Jesus says, you have no authority over me except for what's given to you from above. In other words, mm-hmm. you're also under authority and you're going to answer to God for yeah. what you do. And do you really have the power to do good here? God God knows. You're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to, you only have the ability to do evil. Do you humans and even to our listeners and to us, do, do we think we have the ability to do good? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, mm-hmm. uh, but through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the Bible says. Amen. So we don't have the ability to do good. We, don't, we think we have the power, but we really need God to transform our hearts to be able yes. to, uh, to do anything good. And we also That's need um, to recognize that authority that exists comes from God above. Mm. The people in Every power authority. are those who are, God has lifted up, and he's able to put them down as he's demonstrated multiple times throughout human history. Amen. Amen. So yes, see, he would be, he had didn't have the authority God did, but he was still making a sinful choice and would be responsible for that. Um, but of course, Jesus says that, you know, the ones who delivered him over had the greater sin, talking about the sin of the Jewish leaders. And, and simply, they had more light. They had the word of God. They had every reason to accept Jesus for who he claimed to be. They had the scriptures and they were still choosing to deny him. That still blows me away. They were biblical scholars. 
Why do you think it was the Jewish leaders, not uh, Judas? I thought it was referring to Judas, who had delivered Jesus over to the Romans. Oh, well, I would say that it, it could refer to both or either, but with Judas, it would that would apply even more. I mean, if there's anybody who had been given the light and the knowledge of who Jesus was, it was Judas. So yeah, you're right. It could be Judas, but it could also refer to the G- Jewish leaders. Either one of them would fit in the context, I think. Well, there's this singular male pronoun, he who delivered mm-hmm. me over to you has the greater sin. And the mm-hmm. way that Jesus talked about Judas, uh, it would have been better for him that he'd never been born. Mm-hmm. And is it with a kiss that you betray the Son of Man? And, yeah, yeah. you know, all of the... We, you know, we studied about Judas in previous chapters, all the times Jesus predicted, mm-hmm. one of you is a devil and is going to betray me. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the greater sin than Pilate even uh, yes. allowing Jesus to be crucified under pressure from yeah. the mob. Judas yeah, had uh, premeditated yeah. this betrayal of someone he knew was innocent blood. But Pilate still yeah, has Jesus. guilt, but there's degrees of guilt, aren't there? Yeah, there are. There are degrees of guilt. You know, there are degree, even degrees of punishment in hell and degrees of reward in heaven. Um, scripture makes that clear. But yeah, it's, I mean, he said of, of Judas, it would be better if he had never been born. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's pretty harsh, <laughs> yeah. but very true if you're going to de- if you're going to betray God in human flesh. So going on to verse 12, it says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. And he had actually tried to release him up to that point, too. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The Jews were basically in subjugation under Rome. They hated Caesar. It's interesting how they're willing to betray their own true king, you know, and and submit to Caesar, at least in word, just so they can maintain their power. That just it's, it amazes me. I think they're pulling out a trump card. This is a power play to uh, it is. intimidate Pilate, who wanted to be on Caesar's good side because he was sent here by Caesar, or at least by Caesar's mm-hmm. cousin Tiberius. Um, oh yeah, there was a. Uh, it's not, and it's not that Caesar was a friend of Pilate. Like Caesar liked Pilate. Caesar probably mm-hmm. sent him there because he didn't like Pilate. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Pilate could be getting serious trouble. I mean, he was he was very close to getting on Caesar's bad side. Um, So they're playing that card of, hey, if if this man claims to be a king and you don't have him crucified, you're basically committing treason against the Roman Empire. Absolutely. They're definitely trying to manipulate him. There's no doubt about that. And so with that, Pilate caves, verse 13. uh, So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Verse 14, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and that would have been about noon by our reckoning. They reckon things a little differently. Um, He said to the Jews, behold your king. So he went from behold the man in the earlier chapters to now behold the king. What does behold mean for those people who don't speak ancient (laughs) English? (laughs) Just uh, here is or, you know, kind of presenting him, presenting him before the crowd. Look who's here kind of a thing. Take a look. Take Uh a look. Exactly. In some ways, it's kind of mocking the Jews, like, hey, this is the best you've got, Jews. You've, your king is powerless under my mm-hmm. uh, under my thumb. But I just have to react here to the cultural moment we're in in America. Behold our presidential candidates. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's like, oh, are these really the people that we want to represent us? Oh, gosh. Kanye, or yay. I don't know if you saw his anti-Semitic. Uh, oh my goodness! No, I've, I've been on avoiding Alex Jones. Yeah, I've been avoiding watching them. I don't want to. Yeah, it's just yeah, just too much craziness for my taste. Well, yeah. So I think this is the what Pilate is saying. Behold, your king. It's on mm-hmm. one hand he could be still trying to say this is your opportunity to have a king besides Caesar. This is mm-hmm. this is yours. You should own him, and that's a biblical mm-hmm. truth. Like. On on God's side, like almost defending Jesus, like he sh- he's the King of the Jews. He's going to write that on the the tablet or on the on the cross. But on the other hand, it's like, be- behold, this is the best that you have to offer this beaten, bloodied man, and 
I, I don't know. There's there's some mysterious connection also to, you know, why would John write it this way in verse 14? Now it was mm-hmm. the day of preparation of the Passover, and then behold mm-hmm. your king. It's like Jesus as the king of Israel, he's actually fulfilling the whole Passover feast. I don't know if we have, t- we don't have time to go into that. Yeah, but if you ever, good. but if you ever have the opportunity to go to what they call a Seder dinner, uh, mm-hmm. a Passover dinner, you will learn about the uh, different symbols within that dinner that represent Jesus and the matzah, for example. Jesus in the Gospel of John said, "I am the bread of life," and that uh, piece of bread would be unleavened. Uh, Jesus is sinless, mm-hmm. un- unleavened. That bread would be broken and. Um, it would be, uh, you know, they would look at it. You'd spend time during that dinner kind of thinking about what the meaning of this bread is. And Jesus had broken bread with his disciples just uh, not many hours before this, in the Last Supper, or after the Last Supper. So, I don't know. I think there's some connection here we need to make between Jesus being the king that you could see and the, the Passover bread. Mm. Um, you know, it's interesting, the city where King David uh, was born and where Jesus was born, Bethlehem, it means house of bread. And the king of Israel, the Messiah, was was supposed to be of the house of David, of the house of bread, of Bethlehem. Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. So it's we need to just Amen. take another look at Jesus. You can see him as a man. You can see him as the king. I hope you see him as both. Yes. And it's important to think about the context of this. This was at the time of the Passover. And of course, at the Passover, it's remembering the Jews escaping from Egypt and them slaughtering a lamb and painting the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over them. The Jews remembered this every year. And so at this time, there would be thousands, tens of thousands of families there sacrificing lambs. So this was during the time of Passover, in which case Jesus would have been crucified at the same time or close to the same time as the Passover lambs. The slaughter of the lambs would have been a common sight and a clear connection for watchers. Yes, it would have been. That's 14. If we want to move on to verse 15. Yes. So verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Again, it amazes me that they were willing to sell out their God and their faith and say, we have no king but Caesar just to keep their political and social power. Yeah, it's just like Jeremiah said of of the apostates. He said that they've my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the wellspring of living water, and they've dug for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. In mm-hmm. other words, they've rejected the true and living God, and they've mm-hmm. trusted in idols or false gods. And so they've you know it's the same thing that happened when uh, the people asked Samuel for a king. Uh, that they could see, you know, God was supposed to be their king, but they wanted a human king like the other um, nations. Mm. And yet God, when he sent his son as the human king, the perfect human king, they would deny him as we have no king but Caesar, and then just accept the Roman king over them. That it is just man's condition, isn't it, Dan, that we uh, we don't know what's good for us, and we always choose what no, is wrong, no. what's bad. <laughs> Yeah, we do. We do have that tendency. No, we don't. You know, it's so often we have to learn by making our own mistakes rather than listening to good advice or watching the mistakes of others. That does seem to be the human condition. Part of that, I think, is it's just pride. It's we've talked about that before. Pride is is a foundational sin that leads to so many other sins. And I think it really does come down to pride. And and. You won't hear me saying this often, but I think it comes down to total depravity. Yep. <laughs> you know, it is it is true that without God intervening, we are capable of just total uh, depravity, total rejection yeah. of God, and uh, choosing the 180 to go 180 degrees in the opposite way. And that is the, the plight and malady of man, and that's why we need a hero. And that's why Jesus came. 
he had to be crucified because there is no hope in our flesh. So therefore, we need to reckon ourselves, as Paul said in, um, I think it's Galatians 2.20, maybe maybe it's Ephesians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Mm. I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it, yeah. as in as Amen. it says in Acts, you by the hands of wicked men took him and crucified him. But mm. this was foreordained by God. Let me actually read that reference. Is we're we're going to be wrapping up this uh, this portion of Act of John chapter nineteen. Mm-hmm. Let me just give a little New Testament commentary. What Peter said in Acts. Chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, to many of these people that were calling for his crucifixion would be there when Peter was preaching. And he said, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So it's both God's plan and human responsibility for the crucifixion of the one who was to be their king. Verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Yes. So I think we're going to have to leave the rest of the chapter for our next episode, and we'll see the actual crucifixion. What we read and studied today was Mm -hmm. the trial before Pilate, and it's not just the Pilate trying Jesus, Mm -hmm. but really what you do with Jesus is what determines where you stand before God. So in your verdict of who Jesus is and what he did— that is, you're going to be judged by God for that. In other words, if you reject Jesus, God will reject you. Jesus said it this way, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Heavenly Father. And ultimately, the the only unforgivable sin is that of not believing that Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews, the King of Israel, the King of the world, the Son of God, the man-God, the God-man, and rejecting him as if he's the criminal when we're the guilty ones. To try and turn the tables on God to put yourself on the judgment seat and to judge God, that's the ultimate sin. And so how can you get out of that? Well, you need to humble yourself, get off the judge's throne, and realize you stand before a holy God. And by your words, you will be condemned, or by your words, you will be saved. Will you confess Jesus as Lord and yourself as his servant, as a sinner that that is in need of his saving grace? Would you humble yourself to the point of being willing to follow him? Jesus said, no one can be my disciple unless he's willing to take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. So repent and believe, just as Jesus has been saying since he started preaching, we are calling you. And God is, it says in Acts 17, times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now God is commanding all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. What we see in John 19 is a man judging God in unrighteousness. And, but what we'll see in the end is God judging every human being will each stand before God alone, naked and bare, with the books opened. He knows every deed we've done, and every thoughtless, careless word will be brought into judgment. So in the judgment of Jesus, I see a foreshadowing of Jesus one day, turning things around, turning things right side up. He will judge the wickedness of this world, but he offers mercy to those who will humble themselves before this crucified king. Amen. Amen. So, yes, as we wrap up this week, we hope that you will consider who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And we'll talk a little more at the beginning of the next show about what crucifixion really looked like. There are often people who say, well, he probably just survived the crucifixion and he didn't really die, so there wasn't a real resurrection. Well, when we look at the evidence, it's it's very clear that that is not the case. So we'll be reading a little bit of description of what crucifixion was at the beginning of our next show we hope you'll join us again um, remember you can find us on dwell on truth um, on the website you can look for it in google you can reach out to us at oacnorcal.org or at oacnorcal at gmail.com if you want to email us and uh, we hope to hear from you and uh, we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening amen
Thank you so much for listening to the Dwell on Truth show with Brenton Powers and Daniel Bodwin. If you've enjoyed this content and you would like more, please go to the Dwell on Truth podcast page, dwellontruth.org, or go to your own podcast player and search for Dwell on Truth. And as we near the end of 2022, things are a little uncertain about how long we'll be able to broadcast on the radio. So go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And that lets us know that there are people who want to continue to listen to us and will encourage us to keep making content for you. Currently, we have about 40 to 50 people that listen weekly. Some shows, when they're shared, can get up to 150, 200, 300 people So, if you would like to share some of your favorite episodes with your friends, please do so. And that's one way that you can freely support the work. And if you would like to be a part of this ministry through your financial giving, you can go to oacnorcal.org slash give and sign up to give a year-end gift. Select the drop-down menu there at the giving link that you can find it. Once again, oacnorcal, that's O-A-C-N-O-R-C-A-L dot org slash give. There you'll find the three ways you can give, either to Daniel and Rebecca Bodwin or to Brenton and Lena Powers, or to the OAC NorCal General Fund. Or you can give to all three if you want to be super generous. And so we thank you very much for not only reaching out, praying for us, giving, whatever you do for the cause of the gospel, that's what we're all about here, is spreading the gospel. And please pray for our continued media ministry that I'm calling Dwell on Truth, and for our outreaches. We'd love to meet with you one-on-one. We don't want to just preach at you. We want to talk with you. If you'd like to set up a one-on-one appointment with me to hear about how the Lord's worked in our lives, and we'd love to know what he's doing in your life and see about potentially partnering together in the ministry, and there's a variety of ways that you could do that. So please reach out to me. My phone number is 831-594-2633. This is one of those rare times I'm giving out my phone number publicly. It is 831-594-2633. And if I don't answer, it's because I don't have your name in my contact list. And I do screen calls from people I don't know. So just go ahead and leave a message. Let me know that you're interested in connecting and your contact details. Once again, my phone number, this is Brenton Powers. My phone number is 831-594-2633. 831-594-2633. Give me a call and I look forward to connecting with you. Lastly, please also connect with us on Facebook. You can find me at facebook.com slash Brenton Powers. Brenton is spelled B-R-E-N-T-E-N-P-O-W-E-R-S. Yes, I do have extra time to fill with my 54-minute show on the radio, so that's why I'm just giving you all the ways you can contact me. But I really do want to connect with I've been trying not to call you my audience. I want to call you a community. But for that, we need to share in something in common. Fellowship, koinonia, is what the Bible word is. So if you'd like to be in a small group gathering, either here in Salinas, Monterey area, Santa Cruz area, or even up in the Bay Area or Sacramento, Chico, Yuba City area, I'm developing relationships with churches within those churches, small groups of people who are interested in joining us on the streets or for different events to reach out to the lost with the gospel. If that's something you believe in, want to be a part of, please do give me a call or text me at 831-594-2633. Okay, that's the last time I'm giving my phone number. Ball's in your court. I hope that we can meet and love to get to know you and see what the Lord may have us to do for his kingdom. Let's keep seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting that all things that we need to follow him will be added unto us. We don't expect it to be easy, but through hardships, we know that God reveals his presence to us and we grow in the knowledge of him. If that's your desire to know God better, I'd love to share with you a handful of ways that you can do that. That's what we're here for. So please contact us. All right. Thank you so much. May God bless you. God bless open air campaigners work being done all around the world and across the U.S. and here in Northern California. So remember, dwell on truth.